Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Ian, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Ledge. If you don't mind, uh, for those who don't know you, would you give a quick intro of yourself and your work? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Ian McGaw, um, I am the Vice President of Technology and Innovation at ENG Works. Um, and we are a technology service firm uh, that focuses on the building sector. Um, so I've been working in this space for about 15 years now, uh, focused mainly on creating integrations between uh, different systems of information, uh, essentially connecting the virtual world to our built environment. Um, and so whether that is uh, having to do with IoT sensors um, and, and pulling that information and aggregating it together to run some machine learning algorithms, um, or simply just collecting data from, uh, from the field, from people that are installing uh, devices and, and pieces of equipment. Um, so. Uh, very exciting space and uh, just been really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So just for the audience, then we're, we're talking about building physical buildings, the places that we all work, I guess, and live, right? And so um, we, I think everybody has this sense now that, you know, technology is becoming embedded and, you know, it's just like sort of this mesh of, of information generating devices and sensors and IOT and, you know, all that stuff, all of which rolls up in some way or another to, to software systems that of course will be very familiar to, to the audience. I don't know, maybe, you know, paint the picture of, of how those worlds are, are coming together, you know, sort of, I guess people say at the edge, right? The, the edge mm -hmm. computing environment necessary to turn, <laughs> turn the world into a, um, an information device or, or mesh at large. Yeah, absolutely, Ledge. So, I mean, the worlds have really collided in, in the past 10 or so years. And just to give some background um, to the listeners uh, and to your audience, um, the AEC or architectural engineering construction um, industry is typically behind um, and very lagging in technology adoption um, and using the new technologies. So, um, what, what we've done, um, at least recently, um, and when I say recently, I mean in the past few years, um, is really dove in into um, some of the different visualization components. Um, so what we're, what we're trying to do, as I mentioned before, is, is smooth out the process between the office and the field. So 
by by utilizing some augmented reality, um, and and we use many different platforms to provide these experiences. So we're using the Hololens, or we're using uh, a thing called the Realware, or um, the Magic Leap as well. Um, but what we're doing is we're essentially creating these these virtual mockups, right? So um, it, it's very similar if you think of uh, you know creating a wireframe, right? Where we're creating these these kind of uh, bits and pieces virtually that that do go together, and then we're able to overlay that in our physical environment. Um, and so, what what we're finding is that a lot of the tradespeople that are in the field that are installing uh, these systems and things like that is they're able to capture a whole bunch of information that we previously didn't have access to. Um, so that's one thing that we're really doing. Um, that's that's pretty interesting. And then another thing that we've we've dove in pretty deep into um, has been some machine learning. Um, with IoT devices. Um, and so what we're actually trying to do and, and on the cusp of doing is connecting a, a living buildings systems through these different sensors. And we're looking at things like temperature and humidity and, and vibration and, and even some lighting analysis. But we're pulling all that information into a database and we're, we're applying machine learning to it. So that, uh, and it's essentially just regression trees. It's, it's nothing, um, out of the ordinary or, or really groundbreaking in that sense. But, um, what we're able to do is find and identify alerts and alarms before they become an issue in the field. So typically, uh, when a building is in operation, uh, we're, we're always there to, be proactive in the maintenance. Uh, you know, traditionally, um, building operators are, are, you know, they're, they're late to the game in that case, right? If, if a, a fire protection system goes off and it's filling your office full of water, um, you know, they, they find out about it once your office is half full, you know, um, we want to allow people to understand that much earlier, um, and be able to be reactive or excuse me, uh, be proactive instead of reactive. And uh, so also in that light, what we're doing is we're able to take those insights from the sensors and pull them back into our design process. So typically an architect or an engineer would be able to understand exactly that a specific office or a specific area may be too hot in a building. And so to redesign the system for thermal comfort for the people that need to utilize that space. Um, so all data-driven, very uh, um, in-depth uh, pieces like that. Um, and, you know, we're really focused on kind of the digital transformation of the, the AEC. And, and, you know, I think sometimes that that, that acronym and, and those words are a little bit overused and, and uh, certainly some buzzwords at this point. But um, as I mentioned, because the AEC is a little behind, um, we're, we're really trying to do that. Now, one of the things that I feel very deeply in um, is learning from other industries, which is really why we've attempted to take um, some some different programming and and um, uh, learning from uh, different industries, specifically web development, and applying them into our projects. So, for instance, I've got a project right now that's a that's a hospital and it's quite large. Um, 
I, I believe that the total budget on it is about $850 million. But what we're doing with this is we're collecting and managing all of the information throughout this entire building life cycle. And, and we're using different tools throughout the different phases to either gather that data or to QA that data, um, you know, we're actually utilizing uh, MongoDB, uh, the Atlas product, to house all of this information in in kind of a, a blob storage, if you will, where it's uh, pretty unstructured, and we're able to query that information pretty quickly. Um, and so that that project has been very interesting. But the reason I bring it up is because when we first began. We didn't start with MongoDB. We we actually started with uh, an Excel file in Dropbox. Um, but our data requirements became so large that we needed something else to host and to maintain that information. So the reason I bring that up too is because on each one of our projects, what we try and do is is really apply um, kind of our, our constant check in, check out uh, methodologies, right, or the CICD methodologies there. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And so it seems as though uh, it works pretty well, actually, for uh, buildings um, and and our project workflow. Sure. So in I mean in software. We're going to be talking about CI/CD, obviously. You know, it's sort of okay. Continuous integration, continuous deployment. So each time we uh, do some work, you know, it, it auto builds or in some nature, you know, just goes up to. I mean, ultimately, the the sort of I guess penultimate would be, you know, it, we can submit some code. It'll automatically run through all kinds of testing, and it'll, it'll just go to production, and everything will work. Now, you know, it's <laughs> rare to find an environment that it can. Achieve that, but um, what does that look like in the in the physical space? In order to uh, you know, it it seems harder to imagine uh, you know MVP or you know sort of build and test as you go when you're working with I don't know steel, concrete, and mm -hmm. drywall. You know, but I don't, just paint that picture because it might be foreign to those of us in the bits and bytes world. Sure. So. Um to give an example of that, um, one of the things, and actually you keyed off on it, um, is some of the building materials. So we're actually doing uh, rapid prototyping on a, on a lot of our uh, construction materials. So things like concrete, for instance, um, you know, certain high rise buildings need a very high tensile strength type of concrete. And so what we're able to do is rapidly test whether uh, a certain uh, product, whether that's concrete or steel, is going to fit the bill, excuse me, and allow us to, for instance, build taller or, or come up with a different type of building design, one that maybe cantilevered over itself. And what I mean by that is, you know, it has a pretty small base and then it gets larger as it goes up. And uh, so that's kind of the, the CIDC, excuse me, CICD that we're doing is, is more of a rapid prototyping and applying the, what we learn from those prototypes into the building design. Okay. So you can use digital technologies then to, to model and predict before committing to a design that may or may not Precise. be exactly what you want to do. Yes. Okay, understood. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, how many, uh, what's that iteration cycle look like then? I that, that speaks to a, a software and kind of agile mindset where you don't 
I guess the, the picture would have been that you, you know, sort of drew blueprints and designs and engineering and all that. And you just kind of went and built it. So it'd be more like a, a waterfall kind of design mm-hmm. that, that, or methodology that, that would be, you know, I guess familiar to be, you know, people in fact come in and often think that you can build software that way and you can't. Absolutely. So, um, I guess you're able then to, to essentially push right more and more and more mm-hmm. prior to the, the build in a more iterative fashion. Then. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things and the, the reason that we've identified these pathways in, in this way is because our design and construction schedules are always shrinking. Um, we never have enough time. And, and so our, our iteration cycles, um, and it really depends on the project, but, but they'll range from anywhere in, in the week range to maybe three weeks, maybe a month, uh, depending on, on what we're looking at doing um, and how, how inventive we're trying to get, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And so you're using these sensors and tools as you go, then once you have entered the physical build, and I guess you're, you're taking feedback then from what actually happens on the ground. Does it often deviate from the predictive modeling or, or what, what kind of thresholds do you experience there uh, between real world and computer world? Yeah, it's a great question. It, um, when we first started doing this, it, it used to deviate greatly. Um, however, there was a, a large shift in mindset um, and the acceptance of some of these technologies by people on the ground. And so what we've seen now is the rate of, or, or the, the kind of the standard deviation um, in what we're seeing out in the field versus what we have created virtually um, is very close to zero at this point. Um, of course, there's still, uh, you know, certain deviations that we can't account for, right? Um, you know, building tolerance is typically, you, you try and build to about an eighth of an inch of a building tolerance. So there's a little bit of fudge that's allowed in there. Um, whereas certain other tolerances, you know, if you think of uh, aircraft uh, manufacturing, right? You know, your, your tolerance is almost zero, if if not zero, right? Sure. Yeah. And so you're, you're able to to not have to deal with, you know, microns, you're, you're talking about, you know, a couple of mm-hmm. millimeters maybe. Right. And, and, and that that's okay. And Correct. Then, you know, the material can account for that then. Um, and do you, you're actually modeling the future state then uh, you talked about the, the climate control, for example. So, so you can go through mm-hmm. a design before the building is made and kind of go, Hey, that, that office is going to be stifling, you know, maybe change the way that, that this is, is built then. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that, that we're doing today is we're actually taking, um, some of this tribal knowledge that we have, and we've got some really talented, um, building engineers here, as well as some software engineers that, um, are, are collaborating together to take, this energy analysis information or the knowledge of the calculations and actually try and automate that process. So for instance, if an architect draws a box and we'll just call it a hundred by a hundred and uh, it's got glass all the way around it, right? Well, the Southern side of that building is going to get much hotter than the Northern side, just because of the heat gain, or at least, at least here in the, the uh, hemisphere that we're in. And so 
what we're able to do is to identify where that solar gain is automatically coming in and then understanding, okay, well, we need 15% more cooling in those areas, right? And we can work backwards into the design then and say, okay, well, we may need a larger uh, rooftop cooling unit, right? Just on that side. Um, or when we're balancing the building, what does that look like, right? So that we're not creating kind of a negative pressure flow and things like that throughout the, the spaces as well. So, um, and, and machine learning is, is really helping in, in those functions as well. Some of them are just straight hard coded in there because of the, the way that the legacy calculations, um, had been created and, and are being utilized. Um, but that's one thing we can do. Another, um, great example is, um, having to do with clash detection. So oftentimes, um, and, and this is more of the traditional route, right? An architect and an engineer would collaborate together and come up with this 2D building, right, on, on plans. And they would never really look at how the different systems interact with each other. So starting about 12 years ago, um, certain technologies came out that allowed us to quickly generate three-dimensional models and identify areas where, for instance, a piece of, of HVAC ductwork might be running right through a piece of support steel, okay? So before we manually had to go and identify these problems and, um, you know, then then fix them in, in these native softwares. Um, but what we've gotten to, and, and that's very much like, um, you know, how, how in the waterfall method, right, you identify a bug, you have mm-hmm. to go back and fix it, right? Um, but what we're getting to now is being able to identify as the architects and engineers are drawing out their systems, they're automatically identifying where issues may arise or have arisen. Um, and again, that's that's just with the use of, of some nice, sleek algorithms. Oh, that's fantastic. And I imagine you, in your role, you must have a lot of uh, many cross-disciplinary, you know, sort of uh, team members, right? I mean, you've got all kinds of inputs machine, human, or otherwise, that that you need to pull together into some kind of, uh, you know, cohesive orchestrated dance. I'll talk to a lot of tech leaders who are now mm-hmm. at least, you know, having to look at that from a standpoint of, gee, how do I manage and integrate data science and software engineering? Uh, you've got both of those. And, and then you've got all other mm-hmm. sort of disciplines that are that are pulling together. How do you conceptualize the right cross-functional team to, to know that uh, you've got all the right, you know, ideas in the, in the right order um, at the table, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what does that process look like? Yeah. So um, most of the time, the, those decisions are, are typically left up to a building owner or, or kind of the ultimate client on a, on a, building project. Um, and so sometimes we get the team that we get and we have to do a lot of education early on in the projects to say, look, here's our baseline. This is what we can do, but this is where we want to go. Right. And, you know, we always run into, um, and I don't want to pick on architects, but 
you know, we always run into the architect that just wants to draw their design out on a napkin and, and say, hey, this is this is my concept and, and let's just build this, right? Um, and, and so for those folks, it's a bit of a change in thinking and mentality uh, of, okay, well, instead of on a napkin, let's put a, a virtual reality headset on and, and let's sketch it out in there so that we can then start digitally and carry that forward so that we're not going back and forth between a digital and an analog input, right? Mm-hmm. Um, would probably be the the most difficult thing that, that we've had to deal with in these projects. Um, there have been a couple of projects where we have worked directly with the owner and we were able to select the team. And, you know, a couple of the things that, that we look for um, in terms of, of valuable team members, you know, um, one, of the, one of the questions we always ask, uh, you know, are you open to learning new methodologies and trying new methodologies, right? Um, the, the second question that, that we ask kind of ourselves as we're evaluating these partners and teams is, you know, what are their communication protocols look like, right? Because if a singular team member is not communicating with the rest of the team, well, you're only good as, as good as that person's communication, right? Um, and being as these teams are generally quite large, um, you know, you're talking typically between 25 and, and 30 uh, stakeholders on, on a decent sized project, right? Um, and then the, the third thing that we always evaluate is, you know, how do, how do these team members work with other team members, right? Um, because we don't want someone to simply just come in and say, oh, this is my way uh, or the highway kind of a mentality. Um, we, we always foster and, and like to foster a uh, creative and collaborative environment on our projects, right? And, and, and simply that's because there's so many unknowns when you're designing and building a building um, and then, of course, operating it um, that we have to stay flexible. We have to stay agile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just off the top of your head, you know, I'm, I'm curious how, how much of this is a technology problem versus, you know, sort of what percent is a is a people problem? Well, the technology is catching up. Um, before, uh, I would say that it, it was probably a, uh, 70-30, um, uh, ratio where 70% was, uh, lack of technology. Um, but now I think we're getting much closer to a 50-50 breakdown, um, where, um, and, and, and we're seeing this a, a lot too, as, um, you know, some of the older generations are, are moving on and, and sunsetting, uh, and, and, some of the the younger generations are are really wanting to push this technology and, and almost wanting a push button solution to uh, identify some of these uh, things that we've known for hundreds of years now, right? Um, you know, typically uh, um, HVAC design uh, the the algorithms have not changed for about a hundred years, and and so we're really trying to bring that that in depth knowledge forward and. Um, you know, all of our projects, actually, um, we try and identify who the mentors are in those projects so that if we've got a younger engineer or architect or whomever, they can then couple with that mentor and, and really learn much more than um, they would have just on their own. And, and of course, these these are, you know, very intelligent people as well. And not that they couldn't figure it out on their own, but um, they'll figure it out in in 
half the the time frame uh, with with some of these mentors, and and that's one of the things I'm that's uh, very near and dear to my heart is is the mentorship and and passing on that learning um, to to others. Fascinating stuff. Okay, so I've got a lightning round for you. I didn't tell you about this ahead of time. But oh, okay. This is this is important stuff. Star Wars or Star Trek? Ooh, wow, that is quite the question. Um, I'm going to have to go with Star Wars at this point. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Okay, and what are you reading right now? Um, I was actually um, just finishing, um, and I'm a little behind uh, in the times on this, but I was just finishing um, Zen and the uh, Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. And uh, what can't you live without? Um, Probably my iPhone. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) says that. Yeah. (laughs) What's the last thing you Googled for work? Ooh, um, what was it? Um, Oh, gosh. Um, Failing here. Uh, It was about... um, Oh, 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 um, for work. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's actually for work. I was thinking of something else. Um, what was I thinking about? Um, oh, I, I think it actually was, uh, uh, aircraft maintenance. Um, because what I wanted to do and understand better was to understand how uh, the ground team is constantly maintaining uh, aircraft in near real time where they've got these very small windows of operations um, and to see if we could garner any insights from that to the building side. Excellent. Very interesting. Okay. So I don't know if you ever watched The Office on TV. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a classic episode where Jim is messing with Dwight and he's sending him faxes from future Dwight. Okay. And he tells him the coffee is poisoned and all kinds of things to mess with him. But I like to ask if, if I gave you one sheet of paper and a Sharpie, what would you fax back to yourself 10 years ago? Don't drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. Care to elaborate? Yeah. Um, you know, when I say don't drink the Kool-Aid, I kind of mean, you know, don't get caught up in the mundane, right? There's there's always something newer and better that's out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we just have to keep our eyes to the future. I can't beat that. Well, Ian, thank you so much, man. Really cool insights and uh, love hearing about what you guys are working on. Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.